If you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19 this morning, and we're going to be continuing in our verse-by-verse study uh, through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 19, verses 8 through 10, and the title of the sermon this morning is Expository Preaching, the Only Way to Be Truly Relevant. You'll get that as we jump into our time together this morning, expository preaching, the only way to be truly relevant. We're in Acts chapter 19, and we're just looking at three verses this morning, verses 8 through 10. So here's what Luke writes about Paul as he's there in Ephesus. It says in verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that it is well with my soul. It's well with all of us who are in Christ And we're thankful for the gospel truths that we can be secured and that we could be sealed by your spirit. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning in a way that would encourage us with the example of Paul here preaching in the synagogue in Ephesus and continuing to preach and to speak boldly. Pray that you would encourage our hearts today as we look at this passage, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, and that we would always stand on the, uh, the word of God as our source of truth and authority. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, right after seminary, I had the privilege of moving to Texas with my beautiful bride, and I served as a youth pastor at a church called Lakeside Bible Church. And while I was there serving primarily as the youth pastor, I would take the opportunity to go to FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a local chapter there in our high school, and oftentimes I would be invited to speak, and when I wasn't invited to speak, I would listen to some of the other youth pastors that would speak. And it would just kind of amaze me to hear that kind of the, the, the flow of different youth pastors and the kind of things they would share in the devotions that they would give. For example, the, the most popular youth pastor there in our town at the largest church by far was a common speaker there at FCA. And one morning his devotion went something like this. He was like, my wife and I, just this past weekend, we were going to Hobby Lobby. Who likes Hobby Lobby? You know, we were going to walk into Hobby Lobby and I had my two-year-old kid with me and as we're walking into Hobby Lobby, my two-year-old reaches out to the ground in the parking lot, picks up a piece of hard candy. And this piece of hard candy's already been opened. It looked like it had already been sucked on. It had dirt and grime all over it. And I reach out to grab my toddler's hand to keep him from putting that in his mouth, but he popped it right in his mouth, started sucking on that hard candy. And I'm like, son, get that out of your mouth. And he's like, but daddy, it's so good. That was his opening illustration, so I was kind of captivated, like maybe you were, like, okay, where's he going to go with that? And he said, I just wanted to tell you that people in your school, down on the inside, are good. On the outside, they may look like they've got some dirt and grime on them, but at the core, they are good. And I'm thinking to myself, what? (laughs) Has the guy never read the Bible to talk about our depraved hearts, that we're wicked, that we're sinners, that the wages of sin is death? You know, and I'm thinking, what is this guy thinking about? What kind of theology is that teaching? Another youth pastor came to FCA with an incredible challenge, and his devotion went something like this. He said, hey, I want to give you guys a a real encouraging uh, or a real challenging um, challenge. I don't know how else to say it. I want to challenge you today uh, to bring your Bibles to school. And so I was thinking like, okay, I like this. You know, he's like, I want you to bring your Bibles. Everybody next week, you make sure you show up to school, put it in your backpack, bring your Bible. And then he said, but don't open it. Don't open the Bible. You don't have to open the Bible because the Bible has power. Just this book, just keep it in your backpack and see what God does in your life. Put it on your desk if you want, but don't open it. Just set it right there and see what God does in your classroom. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, aren't we supposed to open the book? Like, read the book? Like, take the sword out of its sheath and let it rip? You know, and I'm just thinking, like, what are these guys doing? I remember another guy came in, this youth pastor. He had uh, 15 minutes to do the devotion, and he spent 14 minutes talking about this race that he had run in recently, and he was completely out of shape. 
And it was like a hilarious story, you know, of him trying to run the race, and he's out of shape, and he's winded, and he tells the story. Everybody's in stitches. They're laughing hysterically. It took 14 minutes to give that illustration, and then in one minute, he's like, make sure you run for Jesus today. You know, and I, and I thought, you know what, I appreciate the fact that he's telling the kids to run for Jesus, but it just seemed a little odd to me that he took 14 minutes to tell the story and really just kind of had a one-liner, run for Jesus. You know, just out of curiosity, oftentimes when I wasn't speaking, I would, I would listen to these guys and then I would kind of walk out with them to their car because we're leaving to go to work. You know, the kids are in school. And I would ask them questions like, hey, what are you preaching right now in your youth group? Like, what does youth group look for you? What are you teaching through? And I'll never forget the answers that I would get never just ceased to amaze me. One guy said, oh, I'm preaching a series right now on SpongeBob. And I'm like, on SpongeBob? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, the kids love SpongeBob. Don't you like SpongeBob? And I'm like, I've never seen SpongeBob, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and he's like, well, there's different characters. They have different flaws. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm pointing out each flaw and connecting that with the Bible. And I'm like, okay, you know, interesting. I asked another guy the next week, hey, what, what are you teaching on? And he's like, well, I'm teaching on scary stories from the Bible. He's like, you know, it's Halloween this month. Kids are into that. And so I'm, trying, I'm finding the most scary stories I can find in the Bible, and I'm relating that to our kids. You know, another youth pastor, I said, hey, look, how's youth group going? How, what are you preaching on? And he says, oh, oh, I'm not. We canceled youth group. I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. What happened? He's like, well, they weren't coming for the preaching, so we just canceled youth group. And I'm like, well, I'm really sorry to hear about that. And he said, it's okay. We play Survivor instead. So we moved from church on Wednesday night to Thursday night, and all we do is play Survivor, and the kids are coming and loving it. And I just thought, like, how sad. Like, the, the guy literally said, we don't have a youth group. I don't preach. We just get together to play Survivor. Uh, I was in the neighborhood pool swimming with my kids, the same stage of life, and uh, I met another youth pastor, and I asked him what he was teaching on, and he said, look, I, I just teach on different topics through the Bible, and I try to keep it really relevant. I pick topics that students are struggling with, and I try to address it from the Bible. You have to keep it really short and to the point because you don't want to lose those students by getting too long-winded or too complicated. You have to connect with students who have a really short attention span. And while he was talking, you know, it was kind of like the same thing again and again, it just kind of dawned on me, like, you know what, I want to be relevant too. Like, being relevant is an important aspect of being a pastor, and yet, what does it mean to be truly relevant? I mean, to be truly relevant, do you have to talk about SpongeBob? To be truly relevant, do you have to talk about scary stories from the Bible? You know, to be relevant, do you have to be a youth pastor with a, you know, a cool haircut, you wear skinny jeans, you play volleyball really well, have a case of Mountain Dew in the fridge? You know, is that the definition of how you can be relevant as a youth pastor? And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know what? The Bible is relevant. Truth is relevant. Preaching the Bible, preaching truth from the Bible is relevant because kids today have real problems. And real problems have real solutions which are met in the Bible. And it just dawned on me, you know, not, not like it was a new discovery, but I'm just like, let's redeem the idea of what it means to be relevant. And what it means to be relevant is, I believe, this is in the title, is it's expository preaching. It's taking God's word, it's explaining God's truth, it's exhorting others to come to faith, to walk in the light, to be filled with the spirit, to obey Christ. I mean, everything else has its place. There, there's places, uh, there's time to play games at youth group and to have skits or to do whatever. I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff in youth group and that can be, that can be an, an accent that augments the overall time together. But let's not, let's not joke about it anymore. I mean, the real need is for the word to be preached to have a time when people come together to open up God's word, to take more than just one minute, probably more than five or 10 minutes, but to really take 30 or 40 minutes and, and really open God's word or longer even and preach the truth. That's the only way to be truly relevant. My opinion, I have a conviction this morning, is that expository preaching, whether it's in youth ministry or let's just be real this morning and say in big church ministry. There's a whole lot of churches in big church that do many of those same things that I was talking about because they're not convicted that the word of God is the only way to really be relevant in, in, in the pulpit, to preach it, 
to, to, to explain it, to teach it to others. So this morning, that's what we're talking about. And I'm going to show you how Paul does that faithfully from our text this morning, verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to give you three truths that will help you see the importance of expository preaching. So we'll look at number one, expository preaching is powerful. Number two, expository preaching impacts our world. And number three, expository preaching drives missions. So let's start with number one this morning. Expos- expository preaching is powerful. And here's your first blank if, if you're taking notes. It says preaching with authority. Preaching with authority. Verse 8, it says, and he, referring to Paul, the apostle, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 7 that talked about how there were some disciples of John the Baptist who had now heard the full gospel and become disciples of Jesus, at which time they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at verse 6. We talked about that how after they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, look at verse, verse 6, they went on to speak in, in tongues and to prophesy, demonstrating that they were truly born again. And we discussed how these 12 almost Christians, verse 7 says there was 12 men in all, these 12 almost Christians became true Christians through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then we're here in verse 8, where we're told now that he enters the synagogue and again for three months spoke boldly. So we're saying one aspect of expository preaching is speaking or preaching with authority. Here in Ephesus, he began to speak boldly, it says, for the next three months. The word here in the original language for speaking boldly means to express oneself freely. It means to speak openly and fearlessly. If you were to look at the tense of that verb, it's in what we call the imperfect tense, which means and emphasizes the continual nature of Paul's proclamation. And I would say that boldness is certainly a hallmark of apostolic preaching. In fact, Acts chapter 4, verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So we could see that all throughout Scripture, they're speaking, preaching the word of God with boldness. Or how about Ephesians six nineteen? Paul writes, And also for me, speaking to the same church here, Ephesus, and also for me that words would be given me in, in, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So we understand there ought to be a conviction for the preacher when they're preaching to preach boldly from the word. And this is perfectly characterizing the type of preaching that Paul did. He was not afraid of anyone. He he was fearless. He was zealous. He was tenacious. He was enthusiastic. He was earnest. He was energetic. He was fervent in spirit. He was faithful to the text. He was fiery in the pulpit. In fact, turn with me, if you will, to Acts 20, just one chapter over. Maybe you see an example of this that we'll get to in a few weeks. But Acts 20, starting in verse 18, it says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." So he's just reminding them, he's been through some hard times, but he's been faithful. Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He's saying, hey, look, I was faithful to preach the word in broad daylight and in privacy, in a sense, from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. So I'm telling this to everybody not just to the Jewish people or just the Greeks, but to everybody of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he's saying, hey, look, I've faced a lot of persecution from the Jews. I've been preaching the gospel faithfully. After Ephesus, I'm planning to go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna keep preaching Christ. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he's anticipating ongoing persecution for what? 
for preaching the gospel. That's what the persecution is for. It's for him preaching Christ. He's not preaching the old covenant. He's not preaching Jewish uh, customs. He's preaching Jesus. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's saying, it's the last time you guys are going to see me. Therefore, I testify, verse 26, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I love that. Again, that, that passage is reminding us. This is what Paul's about. Thick or thin, good or bad, easy or hard, I'm going to preach the gospel, come what may. This is the way that Paul taught, and this is the way that I believe biblical preaching ought to be done. As I shared with you in our opening il- illustrations, there are many who would disagree with that and say, you know what, that's too ancient, that's too archaic, that, that's too patriarchal, that, that kind of teaching, that kind of communication doesn't work anymore. Uh, One such person who would disagree with biblical expository preaching would be an author by the name of Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock wrote a book entitled, As One Without Authority. And in his book, Craddock makes the assumption that traditional preaching is no longer effective to reach our culture today. He, He believes that preaching with boldness is driving people away from church because it's too authoritarian And it's not sensitive enough to the listener and their present situation. Craddock writes this, quote, It is generally recognized that many blows struck against the pulpit has come as a part of traditional and entrenched institution and as all such institutions, religious, political, or otherwise, are being called into question. So he's saying, hey, recently it's been noted that the pulpit preaching in churches is being called into question. What he's saying is that we live in a culture that questions everything. It questions every authority, and so we must be sensitive to this questioning that's going on, and we need to make changes in order to keep up with this kind of culture. Craddock offers a suggestion that the preacher should change the force of his words because preaching with authority has been evaluated by psychologists, therapists, communication therapist, and even by some other preachers, and to them, the conclusion is evident that change is needed. Craddock wants to be sensitive to the culture and therefore critiques traditional preaching, which uses propositions, logical sequence, and outlines in favor. uh, So he wants to do away with those things, and he wants to move towards a more fluid and conversational tone. This way of thinking turns away from speaking with authority and turns to telling stories and speaking more conversationally. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, believes that the thing that is actually missing in good preaching today is authority. He writes, as we examine the current state of preaching and listen to many contemporary preachers describe their view of the task of preaching, the quick diagnosis is that something is missing. Something is not there that ought to be there and that something that is missing is the one thing most essential, authority. I mean, wasn't that the way Jesus preached? Did you notice the name of that book? He said, as one without authority. What do you think he's critiquing? Well, Jesus was known as one with authority. And he's saying, hey, that didn't work anymore. So we need to move from that model that Jesus gave to now being as one without authority. But we understand from scripture in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This passage is really an indictment of the absence of authority which was common in the teaching of the scribes. Jesus preached sermons full of power and conviction, not of possibilities and of capitulations to the conversations of the common experiences of the day. His teaching and the truth that he gave was deductive from the word of God and through divine revelation. It was not some type of inductive imagination. 
Moeller adds to the insightful summary of today's preaching. He writes, quote, the one thing missing is the one thing most essential. There are question marks where there ought to be explanation points. There is hesitancy where there should be boldness. There is advice where there should be teaching. There are ideas where there should be doctrine. There are impressions where there should be imperatives. I love that about Dr. Moeller. He's convicted that preaching needs to be authoritarian from the text, from the Bible. And so, you know, Fred Craddock is not the only one who distances himself from this kind of preaching. Another popular author of the emergent church, his name is Doug Padgett, and he wrote a book entitled Preaching Reimagined, where he says we really need to rethink preaching altogether. But I'm going to say to you, I'll just give you our second point right here, our second subpoint: preaching that transcends time and culture. I'm saying preaching is authoritarian. It should be done with authority as Jesus modeled. And also just be reminded, we're doing preaching that transcends time and culture. And so when Paul, it says about him, look at verse 8, he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, that's with the authority that I'm talking about, and then it says reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so in addition to preaching, Paul is reasoning and persuading. Reasoning could be translated as he's disputing. And persuading could be translated also as to convince by argument. And so this is exactly what we read and what Paul did. In fact, look over in Acts 28, the end of the chapter, last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28, 23, it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And so this, again, this would have been an intense, passionate teaching that Paul did all throughout the book of Acts and, of course, the other epistle letters that he wrote to the churches as well. This is passionate teaching. This is not passive dialogue of the what does this verse mean to you mentality, right? This is passionate preaching and proclaiming God's word. And listen, I agree with you. It's not the preacher that's the authority, and it's not necessarily his style that's the authority. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that's the authority, but that word of God ought to be shared, it ought to be given, it ought to be proclaimed, it ought to be heralded in the way that it was all throughout the Bible. We shouldn't and don't have the right today to say, you know, I'm going to reimagine what I think preaching ought to be. You know, too, too much of this old school stuff, so I'm going to change to a contemporary mindset and just have the right, you don't have the right just to change that. I mean, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 4.2, it says, preach the word. And with that word preach, caruso, as you know, it's that proclamation. It's that strength. It's that something that you're stating as a fact. You're not, you're not apologizing for it. You're not watering it down. You're to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so that guy, Doug Padgett, that I told you, who wrote Reimagining uh, uh, Preaching, he says that we ought to rethink preaching altogether. He desires to change the traditional style of preaching, which he actually calls speeching. And he said, hey, nobody's listened to you. You're, you're speaking and preaching, you're speeching, and he begins to critique it, saying that it, it's holding people captive to this old ancient form of communication, and it's preventing you from really moving with the rhythm of God. So you start to hear this contemporary, because like, you'd ask Doug Pat, well, what do you want to, I just want to help people get the rhythm of God. It's like, well, what does that mean? You know, what is the rhythm of God? Like, you know, a lot of people don't have rhythm. <laughs> it's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, it's, it becomes really, really amorphous, ambiguous. He states that traditional preaching needs to be released from the bondage of the speech-making act. Furthermore, Paget assumes that Many agree with him when he adds, if you know how to listen, you can hear the rumblings that confirm that preaching as we know it is a tragically broken endeavor. So that's his critique. Biblical preaching is broken. Really? It's broken? Well, I guess that means that God's word is broken because God's word tells us to preach from the pulpit, to preach at church. That's what the congregation gathers together for. 
And so as a solution, Paget offers progressional dialogue where he writes where the content of the presentation is established in the context of a healthy relationship between the presenter and his listeners and substantive changes in the content are then created as a result of this relationship. So he's saying the presenter should present information, everybody has a chance to give their feedback of the information and even change the content of the information as there's this ongoing dialogue where everyone has the freedom to contribute, to offer input at any time. Padgett believes that the church benefits from open dialogue, which plays off each other's comments, kind of like being in a big small group or like being at a pickleball tournament. So whatever you want to do, right? You know, I I mean, I get what he's saying, and I would say to a degree, well, that's what small group is about. I mean, sure, and small group discipleship, but we're not going to change the content for sure. But as far as having valid discussion, absolutely. But he's saying do that in place of church. So there's no formal preaching. Church then becomes only the small group with this progressional dialogue, no preaching. It, It would be like saying instead of praying, Let's just come up with some inspirational poems. Instead of evangelizing, let's just entertain each other with games and playing Survivor. You know, instead of discipling one another, let's just have as much fun as we can to get as much people in here as we can because we want to be known as being really friendly and really hospitable. But what about the preaching of the word? And so how should we preach? What exactly is expository preaching? Your next point C in your outline says preaching that is staunchly biblical. That's what expository preaching, it's preaching that is staunchly biblical. Let me give you a definition, your next blank. The definition of expository preaching would be, um, well, well, there's lots of definitions, but one incredible book that's helped me think through this, it would be Preaching, How to Preach Biblically by John MacArthur and the other members of the Master's Seminary. This book, a classic book, originally called Rediscovering Expository Preaching, and then today it's just called Preaching, How to Preach Biblically. In this book, expository preaching is defined as preaching which presupposes an exegetical process to extract the God-intended meaning of Scripture and an explanation of that meaning in a contemporary way. Said another way, expository preaching is preaching in such a way that the meaning of the Bible passage is presented entirely and exactly as it was intended by God. Yet another definition offered by Stephen F. Olford is helpful. Expository preaching is the spirit-empowered explanation and proclamation from the text of God's word with a due regard to the historical, contextual, grammatical, and doctrinal significance of the given passage with the specific object of invoking a Christ-transforming response. Did you get all that down? (laughs) You know, as these definitions are describing It is necessary for expository preaching to start and end with Scripture. It doesn't start and end with the culture. It doesn't start and end with your illustration. It ultimately starts and ends with the Word of God. To to make it really easy, I would say expository preaching. If you do want to write one down, this is yours. All right, you ready? You can write this one down. Expository preaching is made up of exegesis and exposition. It's that simple. It's exegesis and exposition. Exegesis is actually what you're doing in the study. So in the study, you're, you're examining the original language with the help of different comment, commentaries, certainly of lexicons. If you're a language uh, student, then you're able to learn the language to some degree. It's then putting that together with syntax, introduction material, historical material, and you're doing a deep dive study on the text. And then, and, and then the exposition is then taking that text crafting a message that's faithful to the text, and then you're exhorting, the exposition is more the the exhortation in the pulpit as you're delivering faithfully God's truth to God's people. Uh, Maybe another definition would be explaining the text and then exhorting others to follow the text. So that's all expository preaching is. You're explaining the text, which means sometimes we need to go back into the first century, look at the culture, understand the language, make sure we're, we're, we're there in the shoes of the same people who heard that because the authorial intent, what the author meant to his original audience is still what it means. And yet those truths are timeless 
And there can be ways that we can be exhorted to follow in the same vein of the teaching that we've been given. If you want to see a couple of passages of scripture that teach this, one would be in Ezra. In fact, just turn there. Turn to Ezra and Nehemiah, just two verses that would show where this is rooted even in Old Testament thought, not just with the Apostle Paul. But Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Well, that's a great definition, really, from the Old Testament, to study the law of God, to do it, right, to, to, to teach it uh, to others. And so you gotta have your heart right, you gotta study God's word carefully, you need to apply it in your own life, and then you're teaching the statutes and the rules in Israel. That's Ezra 7.10. Another definition would be in the next book over, Nehemiah. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it says, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So it's saying it's not just good enough to read it or to make some just some just vague comments about it, but there's clearly teaching and studying, and then there's this proclamation, this teaching with clarity, giving the sense so there can be an understanding of the reading of Scripture. And so this is just kind of rooting and grounding what we know from the New Testament of preaching, seeing it now kind of spelled out for us a little bit in the Old Testament, and you say, well, when, when did this start? You know, when, when did the expository preaching model start? Because a lot of people, in fact, that's your next blank, look at the history of expository preaching, the history of expository preaching. A lot of people like to say, well, that's just something that MacArthur does. Or maybe that's just something that he got from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Or maybe that's just something they got from John Broadus, who actually is the first professor to write a book on expository preaching. In the early 1900s, he wrote a book. He actually taught a class at Southern Seminary there in Louisville, early 1900s. His name is John Broadus, wrote the first book we have in print in the modern world on expository preaching. And it's the lectures that he gave to one blind student in his class. That first class, if you will, in the modern era of expository preaching was John Broadus teaching, and, and there's a whole book about it. And you're like, man, I feel sorry for that student because he just like unloaded a tome of proof from God's word and church history of the beauty and the value of expository preaching. But I'm saying it didn't start there. You say, well, Adam, where, where did it start? I'd say that expository preaching started with the Bible. It started with Moses who wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and we really start to see sermons arise as they're in the wilderness, and Moses is, is preaching, teaching, giving the Ten Commandments, exhorting, calling out, confronting, edifying, and there's all kinds of sermons that Moses gave starting in the book of Exodus. And Moses continues to preach to the Israelites all through the wilderness until they entered into the promised land. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he's preaching to them again as they're getting ready to enter in. And then you have other biblical preachers of the Old Testament that would include Joshua, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We just talked about Ezra here in the book of Nehemiah, in the book of Ezra. I would say all the minor prophets, Certainly the New Testament continues that trend with John the Baptist. Jesus, I would say, is the greatest expositor who ever lived, preached the greatest sermon that was ever given, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's Peter preaching expositionally from Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. There's Stephen who also preached in Acts 7 and he died for it. There's Paul who preaches the sermon at Mars Hill that we looked at a few months ago in Acts 17. There's Apollos that we just studied who was once he was informed fully was a great preacher of the word of God. There's James, there's Timothy, there's Titus, there's John. And then from the second and third centuries, there was Melito. These are some of the church fathers. Melito from Sardis, Clement of Alexandria in origin. You can go back and dig from church history and see expositional messages that these church fathers preach. There's a scattering of expository messages all the way from the church fathers up to the Reformation where there was then an explosion of expository preaching that began really with the works of John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, John Knox, John Hooper, Roland Taylor, Hugh Latimer, John Bradford, and Nicholas Ridley. 
That would be the Reformation and the English Reformation together. And then you have the Puritans, which continue to preach the word. And I don't have time to give them all to you, but how about Richard Baxter, John Bunyan, Jeremiah Burroughs, and Thomas Watson? I mean, I I could list 25 Puritans that you could go back and study, and it's all exposition from the text. And there's other preachers, which must not be overlooked, from the Puritan era to the modern era, Men such as John Gill, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, A.W. Tozer, James Montgomery Boyce. These men, again, have some slight theological differences, but they were all faithful to the text to preach the word, good preachers who have already gone to be with the Lord. There are more biblical preachers alive today than ever before, you get to listen to so many of them here at, uh, at the school or at different conferences, but how about Sinclair Ferguson, Alistair Begg, who was just here, John MacArthur, John Piper, Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, Al Mohler, Kevin DeYoung, Steve Lawson. I mean, I could go on and on and on. If you know any of those names, you know those men are faithful to preach the text. And so expository preaching, I'm just saying here, it's not just a part of church history, it's rooted in biblical history. And it's a biblical mandate. I mean, you could jot down, I think the cross-references are listed for you, but there's Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's what an elder's called to do, to be in prayer and preparing in his study so that he can faithfully minister the word. There's, there's Romans 10-14 that says, and 15, that says, how then would they call upon the one in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It doesn't say we need somebody to come tell stories. It doesn't say we need someone just come in to give testimonies. And there's a place potentially for testimonies, stories. It should be an accent to preaching, not the mainstay. And it says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who, what? Preach the good news. How about 2 Timothy 2.15? 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That text talks about you gotta, you gotta cut it straight. You gotta be faithful to God's word, handling it in the right way. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Again, be ready in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, that book on preaching that I told you by John MacArthur and the rest of the faculty of the Master's Seminary further elaborates on some of the principles of expository preaching. I told you it's exegesis and exposition. I told you it's exegesis and exhorting your audience to follow the timeless truths we see. But here are some principles, your next blank, number three, the principles of expository preaching. Again, I'm kind of elaborating a little bit more on verse eight. Again, Paul, he, he, he preached for three months by speaking boldly, reasoning and persuading them about what? About the kingdom of God. So I'm kind of elaborating a little bit about this is what he's preaching. He's preaching on the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is more than just a reference to the future millennial kingdom. I think when it says that he's teaching on the kingdom of God, he's teaching about the sphere of salvation today in, in their time, what it means to be a part of God's family, what it means to be a part of the universal church, what it means to be an adopted child of God, what it means to be in the kingdom. And he's teaching things about the kingdom of God. In fact, that phrase, kingdom of God, is used in Acts 28, 31. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And we know that Paul was preaching on the kingdom of God. He also had in mind what, what is said in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. And the question is, well, where does that power come from? And, and how does someone talk about the kingdom of God? Well, it comes from God's word. And it comes through expounding upon God's word. It comes through the scriptures and some of the key principles. There's a list there under the principles of expository preaching. And this was in a chapter written by Dr. Richard Mayhew in that book that I keep referring to. But he says here, A, the message finds its sole source in scripture. 
your next blank, right? That's where it starts. It starts and ends with the Bible. Sometimes people ask, well, what's the, the, you've talked about exegesis, doing your study, and there's another word that sometimes people confuse called eisegesis. And eisegesis is the idea of picking a topic that you want and then kind of forcing that meaning, that topic back into the text. So that would be a big no-no. We do exegesis, take it from the text, and then bring it to the audience faithfully, not eisegesis, which would be basically what everybody does before they go to seminary. You know, I got a great sermon I want to preach. It's got three points. I got to find a text in the Bible that supports it somewhere. You know, that's not the way you approach preaching. It's exegetical. It finds its sole source in the scripture. B, the message is extracted from the scripture through careful exegesis, which is what we've been talking about. C, the message preparation correctly interprets scripture in its normal sense and context. Again, we're talking here about taking a literal, historical, grammatical hermeneutic to interpret it in its normal sense and context. D, the message clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of the scripture which is why you don't have the right to say, well, to me, this passage means, it's like, whoa, whoa, time out. I just want to know what does this passage mean, period. I want to know what God determined that it meant. Not just, now you can say, hey, for me, one way I apply this truth is like this. That, that's a, there's some room for you to do that. But you can't say, to me, it means this. To me, it means that. You're, you're beginning to move away from the original meaning. So we have to explain the original God-intended meaning, what we call sometimes authorial intent. And then E, the message applies the scriptural meaning for today. So there's the validity of like, of course, it's still, it's living and active. The, the timeless truths still stand today. A husband should still love his wife like Christ of the church. A wife should, should still submit to her husband as unto the Lord. Those aren't just passages for the Ephesian church only, but those timeless truths apply the scriptural meaning even for today. So expository preaching is powerful. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing. The second truth, and obviously these next two are much, much shorter, but the second truth is expository preaching impacts our world it impacts our world. In fact, you could say, your next blank, it turns away unbelievers. It turns away unbelievers, verse nine, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So we're saying here that even though Paul had been there in Ephesus in that original synagogue for three months preaching faithfully, the unbelieving hearts of many of the Jews in the synagogue became hardened. Like the word stubborn in the ESV could also be translated, I believe like it is in the NASB, is hardened. That their hearts became hardened. It means to cause, to be unyielding in resisting information. That word stubborn or hardened means to be obstinate. It means to refuse to believe. And the word is used many times in the New Testament to speak of the heart that has been hardened against God. Like Hebrews 3, 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or Hebrews 3.15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so the expository preaching, really what happens is to the person who's going to repent and believe, their heart gets softer. And to the person who's going to dig in and defend their depravity, their heart will become harder. And that's what expository preaching does. It says, look, you got to make a choice. You're either with Christ or you're not. When you have a lot of soft preaching, there's a mist in the pew where you don't really know where everybody stands because everybody's able to stomach what's being said from up front. But if a preacher's worth his salt and he's preaching the word of God, it begins to cut like a knife. And that means that there are some that will become more hardened and they may leave and not continue to stay. And there are some that will be transformed given a soft heart, part of the promise of the new covenant, that they would be given a heart of flesh and have that heart of stone removed from them. And so this is what's happening in, synagogue, in the synagogue there in Ephesus. And so there were some of the listeners developing hard hearts. They were disobedient. They were speaking evil of the way before the congregation. The, the, the way there would be a reference to the way of Christ, the church, Christianity, 
probably taken from Jesus' own words in John 14, 6, I am the way. And so there, there's a proper place and time to leave a church. And, and, and that you, you would leave this church if the gospel stopped being preached. And so for Paul, he didn't leave the church, but he had to, to leave, in a sense, the synagogue in order to preach somewhere else where his words were considered to be a blessing instead of just being a burden. And so he moves from this synagogue, as verse 9 says, he withdrew from them, and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And so here, this transition uh, was to Tyrannus, which may have been the owner of a lecture hall there available in Ephesus. He might have been some type of philosopher who taught there. Some New Testament manuscripts add that Paul taught. You can see this in your, in your text there. If you see a little number there and you can look at the bottom, it says some uh, taught that Paul would teach for, uh, in, in, the, uh, Senate, in the hall of Tyrannus from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's a five-hour sermon. How do you like that? I just tried to go 45, 55 minutes. But he's going from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. because the people were hungry. They followed him from the synagogue. Okay, this, this isn't where I'm going to be anymore. I'm going to be in this hall. And he continues there, it says, for a couple of years. Right? He continues to, to preach there. Verse uh, 10 says he continued there for two years. So we're saying that preaching, good, solid, expository preaching, it will turn away unbelievers. But your next blank says that it saves and strengthens believers. It does save and strengthen believers. Again, notice that Paul took many disciples with him. So these would now be the born-again believers. They were converts that were made right there through the expository preaching of Paul. And these converts had become true disciples of Christ. And these new converts had, no, di- no doubt, been uh, responding very powerfully to the word of God that was being preached. They were being transformed. And this is what Paul writes later to the church of Ephesus uh, of, of chapter 4 in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave some uh, apostles as prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's part of the effect of saving and sanctifying, strengthening believers as they're sitting under the word of God. I would also say, your next blank says, expository preaching, it creates a hunger for the word of God. For the true Christian who's growing in Christ-likeness, they want to dig into the word. You don't have to convince them. They, they show up with their Bible. They show up with their pen, with their notebook, and they're saying, I want to learn what God's word has to say. And that's what these disciples were doing that were following him. They were hungry This is what we say uh, with with the the first, we see this with the first expository message in Acts, in Acts 2, when Peter's preaching, and it says that there was 3,000 added to the church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were devoted to that. They, They were hearing the power of God's word proclaimed from Peter, and they were devoted. They were hungry. That's what it creates in the life of a believer. The third truth Number three about expository preaching is that it drives missions. It drives missions. And I'm getting that from verse 10. Your next blank says it propels missionaries to be sent out. Because what's the effect of all of this? It says, verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It was during this time of preaching and teaching in Ephesus that the church began to plant other churches, such as Colossae, Hierapolis, and possibly the seven churches of Revelation mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. Ephesus was the hub. It was the new place. There was still Antioch, but now Ephesus has become a hub there to reach into Asia through this powerful biblical exposition. That kind of preaching, it can't just stay in one place. It it, it spreads like a, a, a hot potato, you got to pass it on. And the disciples of, of Jesus, as they're maturing quickly under this sound teaching, they're, they're maturing and learning that God's called them to carry it on into the Great Commission, right? they got to take this out into the world. And ever since the Bible, missionaries have been hopefully preaching the gospel, planting churches, shepherding churches, training up new elders, new pastors that go out and repeat preach the gospel, plant a church, shepherd the church, train men 
You can train women as well, but train men specifically to plan another church. And that's what I'm so excited about our church being involved in that kind of missionary effort. There was Bob Trout, who our church has supported down in Columbia, who has trained hundreds of men at various seminaries that he served at there in South America. There's Ben Candy, who right now is in Brazil. He's coming alongside trying to plant churches with elders and making new elders. There's Chris, Chris Wick in Slovenia. Again, working together with his church to train the next generation. There's Shannon Hurley in Uganda who has the Shepherd's Training Center. That's where John Maburu is from and he's going back there one day. He'll be teaching in the Shepherd's Training Center that has hundreds of men from all over Uganda that come in to get biblical training. There's Michael uh, C. Houston who's in Fiji teaching pastors how to shepherd the flock as he teaches in biblical counseling in, in, at Fiji Bible College. And so this is what missions is all about. It propels you into the world. The second and last blank here says it pierces all cultures with the truth of the gospel. Expository preaching is not just for America. It's not just something that, again, John MacArthur invented and does at Grace Church and the Master's Seminary. It's a biblical truth that permeates and pierces all cultures of all times everywhere. And so we need to look at the take-home section. Be sure that you're committed to the preaching of the word and not just to the personality of the preacher. Second, be assured that soft preaching produces hard hearts, but hard preaching produces soft hearts. I guess we could say hard preaching produces both hard and soft because we said it hardens those who are not going to accept Christ. But the goal is to produce soft hearts. And then three, be certain that, we, that the, what the world needs is not more gimmicks to grab people's attention, but the gospel which changes people's lives. And so if you're here today and you want to be encouraged, I pray that you would just consider what's been said from God's word. Uh, we have a few people available to pray. If you're here and you're in need of prayer, you want to turn your life over to Christ. You've been encouraged by some truth this morning. We'll have a few people available after the last song. Let me close our time together in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the conviction that our church has an expository preaching, which we see as a clear teaching from the Bible itself, modeled by Moses all the way to John, and I pray that we would just be faithful to preach and proclaim your word. I'm thankful for an elder team, and I'm thankful for small group leaders, and thankful for Josh Dojero, thankful for, for the guys who teach in our college ministry with John Thompson and Sam Perkins. I'm thankful for the children's church teachers that are constantly bringing your word to bear in the lives of, of children. God, I pray that you would use your word and you would transform us and that we would just continue to be faithful to truly be relevant and we know that that relevancy comes from the truth. It comes from your word. May we be encouraged with that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.